Hi, it's Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. One of the best ways that you can do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. Before you get started with today's message, I wanted to let you know that it's now available wherever you buy your books, whether it's Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I wrote Poverty, Riches, and Wealth to help you move from the never-enough mentality into a true kingdom abundance from the inside out. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy this message. Um, why don't you grab a hand? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for what you've done already. And we thank you that you're moving all over the world. And Lord, we bless what you want to do tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you put a clock? Could you set the clock, please? Thank you. Um, I want to talk about uh, minding the things that matter. I want to talk about minding the things that matter. I want to talk about what's on your mind and managing your inner world. And I want to just open with Colossians chapter 3, if you would just turn there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I, I, I'm going to talk about it more but um, in, in the message. But I feel like there is a, such a powerful move of God. I, 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 you know, I hope the next generation feels like this, but I believe that we're in, this, in the greatest move of God in human history. The only other time that I would want it to be alive would maybe be um, when Jesus walked the earth and I would be hoping I was on the right side of, the, of that thing. <laughs> Not one of those guys yelling, crucify him, you know. Um, so maybe I'm glad I'm over here. You know, after it all worked out, I'm like, yes, I'm good now. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I actually sometimes think that... Um, I actually think that we're not completely aware of how powerful a time we're in. Sometimes we look back at our life and we realize after the fact that God was doing something powerful in our lives and it's actually the, in our rearview mirror that we actually realize how profoundly powerful the Lord was moving in our lives. Are you with me? And so, um, and, I, and I want to talk a little bit about minding uh, this, this time. Can you give me more time than that, please? I, I can't preach this message in three minutes. It actually says 43. Um, so, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I'd like to read it one more time. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, you have currently, past tense, died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, one of the things that, that I've said before, and I believe several other people have said this too, you know, we are exposed to more bad news in one week than our great-grandparents were exposed to in their entire lifetime. We have, I believe, we have a love-hate relationship with the information age in that we are so exposed to every bad thing that's happening in the world. 
If something happens in China, in, within minutes, it, that's a disaster. Within minutes, you know it. How many understand that just a hundred years ago, you may have heard a rumor about something once in a while, but basically people were dropping bombs on you before you actually knew there was even a war. The Civil War, for, it, for example, the Civil War, they, it was the declaration of the Civil War being over happened, and for three more years, people were actually in the trenches still dying. And literally, tens of thousands of men and some women died after the Civil War had officially ended because the news didn't actually get out to people and they didn't even know the war was over. And what I'm getting at is that we are often infected and affected by the spirit of this world and we don't even know it. You know um, the lowest level of life is unconsciously ignorant. That means you don't know that you don't know. You know what a familiar spirit is? A familiar spirit is an evil spirit that actually attaches itself to a person and it becomes so a part of their personality that you don't even know they had that spirit until it left. It's kind of like an alcoholic who's always drunk and then they finally get free and you're like, I never knew that man was drunk until he got sober. Like it so becomes a part of their personality. And what I'm getting at is that we are so steeped in the spirit of the sage. I'm not saying you and me. I'm saying I'm, I'm, the, the, the yeah, all y'all. <laughs> the globe. <laughs> like the, the spirit uh, uh, that's of disobedience that's working in the you know, spirit of, 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 the, of the enemy that's now working the spirit of, uh, now working in the sons of disobedience. And, and I feel like it, sometimes we, we're infected and affected by that, but it's so common that we think it's normal. Let me say that again. Sometimes things that are common are not normal. <laughs> Uh, cancer is common, but it's not normal. And I think that sometimes things are so prevalent that we normalize things that are actually not normal, but common. Are you following me? Uh, in Romans chapter 8, I, Bill actually was reading um, these, some of these verses this morning because I, I got to hear the first few minutes of his message. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, Paul writes, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. I want to just read that part again. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are the flesh cannot please God. Whoever... However, you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. I, I, I love this, and I, I want to make one little clarification. We're not going to take a long time to talk about this. But I like to suggest that there is actually good flesh and bad flesh. That the actual word flesh is, is amoral. It's like not good or bad. Because, for instance, Paul exhorted husbands to love their wives as they love their own flesh. How many know Jesus, the word of God, became, walked among us, became flesh and walked among us? How many understand there's good flesh and there's bad flesh? Paul, right here, when he's talking about flesh, he's talking about lust, envy, jealousy, unforgiveness. He's talking about the mindset on the, that flesh is death. And when you are in that mode, how many know the people that are in that mode 
they can't, that, that mind, it can't even submit itself to God. How I many you know evil people that are, that are bent on evil, they can't even submit themselves to God. They're not even able to. But Paul goes on to say, but you, if you were, if you were born of God, this should not apply to you because you're of the Spirit of God. And the people that are of the Spirit of God, they are not in the flesh, but they're actually listening to the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? But sometimes, I'd like to say that sometimes we, you know, tiptoe through the tulips of jealousy, envy, strife, and contention, and we re-mind, we re-mind ourselves with the thing that we're supposed to have left. And so I, I just, I want to say that Paul wouldn't have wrote this to believers. How I many know this was not written to unbelievers? Paul would not have wrote this to believers if he didn't, if he wasn't trying to exhort us, like, you're of the Spirit, like, stay up here. Like in Colossians, listen, you're set, you're raised up with Christ, keep thinking from heaven towards earth. Keep thinking, make the things that are valuable to the kingdom valuable to you. Um, Luke chapter 8, verse 18. We're going to have lots of verses tonight. Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Jesus made, I think, a profound statement. He said, take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. Now, several times Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. But this verse isn't about what you're listening to. It's about how you're listening. You know, we will often question what we see, but we seldom question how we see Everybody in this room speaks with an accent. You English people? You should thank God we left England so we could preserve the language. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some cards and letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, Bill's like, not we, you. You know, we, we, we all speak with an accent, and until you encounter someone who has a different one, you don't actually know you have an accent, right? And when you encounter someone with a different one, who do you think has the accent? They do. You're like, oh, you have an accent. They're like, no, no, you have the accent. I'd like to suggest that not only do we speak with an accent, but we actually see with an accent. Like, we actually see the world not as it is, but as we are. <laughs> Have you ever bought something because it was unique? And the day after you bought one, everyone bought one? You're like, I'm going to get a yellow Volkswagen. It's going to be a 63 yellow Volkswagen. I'm going to have the only one. And you buy it, and the next day you see three of them. You're like, when did they get the yellow Volkswagen? What I'm getting at is that you, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. And you tend to interpret the world through your own experience. Jesus made a statement. He said, you'll know the truth. This is John 8.31 and 8.32. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Two things I'd like to point out. First of all, the word truth there is not the Bible. And by the way, we should know the Bible. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But the word truth there is the word we get our word reality from. You know reality, and that will make you free. The word make you free or set you free, depending on the translation you have, is actually a word that means process. Now, I love when God does it instantly. You'll know reality, and you'll instantly be free. And I believe that happens. 
But the word there is, you'll know reality, and that will progressively free your inner man. Are you with me? There's a lot of people that live in a virtual reality. It looks real, it smells real, it tastes real, but it ain't real. And I want to tell you that your body, your, your, your man, your being, has the propensity to see virtual reality as reality. How many of you love movies? I love movies. And, and I, I, like, I like Old Testament movies. I like when people die. I like wars and rumors of wars. In my virtual reality, but not in my reality. And I, and I, and I love watching movies with my wife, even though she likes different kind of movies. If I know there's going to be tears in a movie, I will not go. I'm like, that is not entertainment. I do that for a living. I'll, I'll watch the trailer like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I won't go to documentaries. They always end bad. I'm like, no, I know that guy dies. I know, I know enough of history to know his story. But, <laughs> but Kathy... She gets so into a movie. Now, I will confess, I will confess that I do too. And she'll start saying things like, during the movie, why do you think that they had so much trouble in their marriage? (laughs) It's in the script. She's always like, you're no fun to even watch a movie with. You know how, like, there'll be an action movie and the guy will jump out the window and there'll be a car right there. She'll be like, how did the car get there? I'm like, it's in the script. (laughs) And what I'm getting at is we have a propensity. (laughs) You all been there, right? (laughs) Or you you watch a really sad movie and it's a total, like, it's not a documentary thing. It's all over. It's never happened. It's just a movie. And you leave and you're like, I'm so sad. It's like, it didn't really happen. Have you ever walked, walked out of a movie and you're like, this didn't really happen? <laughs> and what I'm getting at is I'm just sharing that because life can be the same way. It can feel real, look real. You can have all the emotions of a, real, of a reality, but it ain't real. I remember this is many years ago. I, I, you know, I've known uh, many people that struggle with anorexia over, over many years. But um, when I came to Bethel... The first uh, two or three years, I did a lot of the counseling here, and I met for the first time a person who, uh, who had anorexia who wanted help. And I remember her in my office because I, I didn't, you know, she had been everywhere, and someone said, well, you should go, Chris has a prophetic thing, maybe he can help you, and it was kind of like a desperate, you know, last desperate attempt to help this young lady. And she was probably, she, uh, she probably weighed, I'm just guessing, 70 pounds, uh, she probably should have weighed 110 to 120. So definitely, you've got the idea, skin and bones, right? Skin and bones. And I had never actually interacted with anyone that had that problem to help him. So, I, you know, I was like, okay, so I don't, I don't actually, you know, it's one of those deals, like, I don't even know where to start, you know? So I'm like, you know, tell me your story. And, and, and she was telling me, and, and then, then I realized in the midst of her story that she actually thought she was fat. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is how that works. Because I, I never actually knew how it worked. And she began to describe to me that she actually, saw her, she actually saw herself fat, and people tried to convince her she was skinny. I'm like, okay. 
So, so you actually think you're overweight. Well, yes, why would I, why would I starve myself if I wasn't overweight? Wow. And what I'm getting at is that I began to realize that sometimes the enemy can get so involved in someone's life. I mean, a good person, a person who, in this, in this case, and in, in many cases like this, who really, really loves Jesus. And they are completely and totally deceived because what they feel is, re- did you hear the word feel? What they feel is reality, has nothing to do with reality. I, um, I went to uh, uh, flight school many, many years ago, and uh, I never finished. <laughs> I'd finished ground school, but I didn't finish the whole flight school because uh, every time the instructor took me up, I, I, I vomited everywhere. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a nicer word. We're streaming. I'm like, I just puked everywhere. <laughs> and the first time, you know, he's like, yeah, lots of my students do this at first. You know, you'll, 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 you'll likely get over it. And, uh, and, and then the second time, and he goes, sometimes, you know, people do this for three or four times. And on the sixth time, he goes, I do have students who have never gotten over this. <laughs> and on the seventh time, he said, I think you're one of them. <laughs> so that was the end of my lessons. But I did finish ground school, and there's something called spatial disorientation. Anybody a pilot in here? Spatial disorientation. I, I hope I get this somewhat right, but you can, like, send me a letter and fix it. It's been fixed a couple times before, and I don't think I locked in totally. But there is a thing called spatial disorientation that they actually, uh, in, in the, it was the one main thing that they emphasized over and over in ground school. I think I took ground school for four or five months, and it was in nearly every lesson they referred to it at least, because most small planes actually crash because of spatial disorientation. And what it is is this. It's the feeling... It's something like this. It's the feeling that you're upside down and, and climbing when you're actually right side up and flat. And it happens when you lose sight of the horizon, usually in a storm or something like that. And it typically happens, it happens often when people choose to, when pilots choose to not trust their gauges. And one of the things, you know, there are many, many gauges on, a, on any, any kind of plane, especially uh, obviously these super large jets and so on and so forth. We were learning to fly these small planes. And one of the things they taught us is there are three gauges, there's many gauges, but there are three gauges that are duplicated in a plane. And one of them I remember was my altimeter. Like we had two of them. They were identical. And they did exactly the same thing. And the reason why, in, in ground school, they said the reason why you have two of these, one on the left and one on the right, and they're actually the exact same gauges, and there's two other gauges like that, which I don't remember their names at this point. They said there's two of them so that when you have this spatial disorientation, you can look at your gauges and realize both gauges can't be wrong. <laughs> in other words, you, you, can, you can't you know, just bump a gauge and go, oh, the gauge must be off. It's like this one says you're flat and right side up, and this one says you're flat and right side up. So the way you feel isn't the way you are. But many people choose, many pilots choose, and I just did another search uh, yesterday, uh, I, I looked it up again, and read uh, several articles, actually skimmed several articles, there's lots and lots about this on the internet, and we're talking about how many pilots actually crash because of this one thing. 
They choose to not trust their gauges. Instead, they choose their feelings. They end up turning the plane upside down because they feel now that it's right side up. And, and, and they go towards the ground because they feel like they're climbing. And by the time they figure out that they're wrong, they've hit the ground, typically uh, some mountain or some high, high point on the earth. Uh, uh, spatial disorientation. It is, I believe that <laughs> this is so prevalent even among believers that the Lord has given us, can you take metaphors? He's given us his gauges. He even provides two to three witnesses, doesn't he say, doesn't he say that? And yet we often believe our feelings <laughs> instead of watching the gauges that we spent so many years training for. And we end up wrecked, not because God didn't tell us, but because we didn't believe it. Matthew chapter 7 is where Jesus talked about how do you take a speck out of your brother's eye when you got a log in your own? And in Matthew chapter 6, he said, the light, he said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but puts it on a hill so that everyone can see it. Then he said, the light of the body is the eye. And if the light that's in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, he's talking about, Jesus is talking about how you see. How you see. Are you with me? Um, uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah says, Woe to you who call uh, good evil and evil good. What I'm getting at is this. Oftentimes, there's something wrong with the lens, the way we see life, but we don't know it because we question how we, we question what we see, but we seldom question how we see. Are you following me? I remember years ago, um, Lance Walnow, I, I think Bill may have been at this conference too. It was, um, it was in Pennsylvania at um, the Stocks Church, and, um, and I had the pleasure of, of being there, and, and Lance Walnow was teaching. And there was this big barrel of flags that you could, like during worship, you could take them and wave them. And they were all different colors. Um, and Lance, he was talking about uh, perspectives, God perspectives, kingdom perspectives. And he brought these flags up. And he said, I want you, and he, and he turned the barrel. And he said, I want you to count the gold flags. So we were all counting the gold flags. And then he said, close your eyes and write down how many red flags there are. No, none of us could remember there was one guy who's like, I know, shut up. <laughs> Just hate people like that, you know? Probably been in that demonstration before or something. I'm counting red flags. I know where this goes, you know? <laughs> My point is, we didn't know how many red flags they were because we were looking for gold flags. You know, one of the things, I've been with Bill 40 years, and one thing people ask me privately is like, how does Bill get revelation? One of the ways he gets revelation, because I know him, is he approaches the Bible to learn rather than to validate what he already believes. See, sometimes we view life through a distorted lens, and then it validates what we already believe about ourselves. I was passing, uh, I, was, I was going through customs in a particular country with some friends, and, um, and, uh, and during the customs, it was a very unorganized custom, it was in a, a, a very third world country, 
And uh, as we were going through customs, everybody was kind of pressing into the customs counter, and there were no lines. We, we were in there for a couple hours, and after a while, you kind of figured out, like, it's kind of like traffic. Like, if you're trying to be, like, in, you know, traffic in New York, if you're trying to, like, drive really kindly, you're probably going to stay on the side of the road forever. You've got to kind of work your way in there, you know. And so people were pressing in, and if somebody would leave, the crowd would kind of press in to kind of be the next person, and we were there for a couple hours, and... And there was, a, there was a gal that was with us. I didn't know her. I just had met her, actually. And, uh, and so we, as we were, we were standing there, and um, this, the crowd kind of pressed in on us. And then, you know, as they did, the people that got pressed in on, they kind of pushed back, like, whoa, stop pushing. And when they did, this one guy did that to this woman I was with. I, was, I had some friends with me, too. This woman, uh, when this guy pressed back on her, he touched her, uh, her, 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 her breasts, with the back of his, with his back, just pushing back. Well, she freaked out and she started screaming at him, telling him that he was, you know, that he that he touched her inappropriately and he was yelling and screaming at her. And I was like, and and also the friends I was with, like we were right there. Like I was, she was actually there and I was there. And I'm like, I, he didn't touch her. <laughs> and so you know, and she went. I mean, she went on for like. Probably two minutes would felt like forever, and people are like, what's going on? And, and of course, the people that didn't see the incident, they thought, well, he touched her. And he's like, I, I never touched you. She's like, you did too. You touched me. You terrible person. She was going on screaming at him, calling all these names. And I was like, whoa. Well, anyway, it turns out that we we're staying in her home. I'm like, oh, boy. This is going to be fun, you know. It actually turned out to be the Lord, of course. And so I had a conversation with her the next morning, and I, I got her alone, and I said, you know, there was a thing that happened, and, and I started, and she said, she immediately defend herself, oh no, that's this guy, I said, hey, hey, I was standing right there, and so were the other two of us, that man never touched you inappropriately. And she's like, that. I said, does something happen to you? And we began to talk about she was raped three times, her father molested her, and what I'm getting at is her lenses she had, if, I, I don't mean it harshly towards her, she had a log in her eye. And, and, the, and the crazy thing is she was rescuing women from trafficking. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, I didn't say this to her, of course, but I'm thinking, how are you helping them with splinters when your lenses are shattered and you are not seeing the world the way it is, but you're seeing the world the way you are. And you are interpreting the world through some ghosts that have long ago died. You'll know the truth, reality, and that reality will put you on the journey to total and complete freedom. Are you with me? So, Romans 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be, help me, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. God's not trying to modify your behavior. He's not trying to modify my behavior. He's trying to transform my life. And he does it from the inside out, not from the outside in. Are you following me? But help me know, you can't change your life, but you can change your mind. And if you change your mind, God will change your life. 
I was thinking of seven symptoms of a transformed mind. I got several of these from Bill's, from Bill, so I want to just confess it, my sin right up front. <laughs> these are, uh, there's probably many others, but these, when I was preparing, I, I felt like the Lord gave me seven ways that you'll know. Is my mind actually transformed? Like, how do I know if my mind's transformed? Uh, number one, uh, I live in hope. And it's, uh, Bill, I think this is a Bill quote, any thought that's in my mind that doesn't inspire hope is rooted in a lie. In other words, how do I know if I'm actually transformed or conformed? I actually live in hope. When something goes wrong, I go, oh, that's going to work out. And any thought that I have in my mind, and we've all had those before, that makes you feel anxious or hopeless, you know where that came from, right? Those are seeds that the enemy sowed in God's field, and you're God's field. Number two, the impossible, again, another one that Bill, that Bill quotes, the impossible seems reasonable. How do I know if I have a renewed mind? When God says, I'm going to do this, and this never happened before, you go, that's going to happen. Number three, I live in peace, and I don't worry. My speculations are positive. Let me, let me, uh, let me talk about that for a minute. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And then he names three fortresses. Thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. What's a speculation? A what if. Um, your wife comes home late for, your wife is late coming home from work. What do you think about that? Oh, maybe, maybe she got in a car accident. I mean, that's a speculation. Maybe, maybe someone mugged her. That's the speculation. How many know when my mind's renewed, I'm thinking, maybe the boss kept her over to give her that big, big raise she's been praying for. I know my mind's renewed when even my speculations are hope-filled. Number four, I like myself. I rejoice in my weakness, knowing that when and where I am weak, he is strong. I'd like to take an extra few minutes for this because I like personality tests. I like them as salt. I don't want them to be the main meal. I like strength finders. Anybody took a strength finder test? I took one. I actually, you know, I actually have five of them. Strengths. <laughs> Three of them never heard of before. I'm like, they just made some up. Like for those people who didn't have a lot, they're like, uh, you're good at coloring. You know, it's like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, three of them, I have no idea what they even mean. I'm like, like, you have to look at the definition. You know, if you have to look at the definition of what you're good at, you probably suck at it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm being kind of funny, but I actually do like those things. I think they do help people with discover, develop, deploy. So I, I'm not opposed to them, providing they don't become a culture. I don't like when you introduce somebody, you're introducing someone and they go, yeah, here's Johnny, he's a DS. He's a what? A DS. Is that dumb sucker or what does that mean? He's a CI. I, I, I don't like when it becomes my identity. I like when it helps to describe some of the ways I think and live. It's, it's okay to me. But, but the challenge with all of those, that, at least that I've, that I've taken, is that they tend to make my strength my personhood. 
And I'm like, my personhood isn't just my strengths. It's actually what I'm not good at. <laughs> my weaknesses. Am, am I making sense here? Like, the things I'm good at, awesome, help me with those. But I also have things I'm not good at, and actually, they're part of who I am. And Paul said, if I'm going to brag, I'm going to brag about the things I'm not good at. <laughs> because when I'm weak, and where I'm weak, let me say that again. I just read it, to, I'll, just, I'll, I'll read you the verse in a minute. When I'm weak, and where I'm weak, he's strong. <laughs> did, did you get that? In other words, where he goes, hey, you're really good at that, you do that. <laughs> hey, you're not very good at that, how about we do that? I'm like, I actually can, I actually, my personhood is actually more affected by where I'm weak because that's where he tends to be more involved. Or maybe, it's, maybe we could say it this way, it tends to be the place I engage him. He'd probably be involved in everything because no matter how good I am at something, I'm never even one ounce as good as he is. But I tend to engage him where I know I'm not good. I'm like, Lord, I have struggle with, you know, in this area in my marriage. And God goes, okay, that's where you're weak, and it's when you're weak, and I'll engage you there. He's engaging me there because those are probably the places that I tend to go, I can't do this. And, and I think God's going, you actually can't do anything. Let's be clear. You actually can't do anything. I remember years ago, and I've told this story a few times, um, I, I, I've written some books and, uh, and there's a, a university that uses a couple of my books as in their ministry curriculum. And so the Chandler said to me, uh, and he's a friend of, of the house, and he said to me, hey, I'd like to give you an earned doctorate if you will just um, write a thesis. Truthfully, at the time, now I'm a little more educated now, I didn't even know what a thesis is. I actually got on my phone while he's talking to me, and I'm like, thesis? Oh, that's what that is. And I said to him, well, I just wrote the book, Fashion to Rain. I, it hasn't been released yet, but I had just wrote the manuscript, and I told him about what it was about, empowering women. He said, oh, you could change the format of that, and that could be your thesis. I'm like, that would be great. So, um, and he said, and we'll graduate you this summer. So it was like six, eight months from the time that we talked. And I'm like, that's great. And so um, at the time, uh, Beth was my PA, and I came back all excited. And, and I, I got, they gave me a, a counselor, a school counselor, and... So I said, call the school counselor and figure out this, what this says. <laughs> they give him this document, like, do all these things. Like, I don't know what most of these are. So, so she called, and, and, and they helped me develop plan and reformat it. And anyway, I got like three or four months into it. I was like totally into it. And one night, I'm, I'm, I'm in bed, and I, I have to honestly say, I don't think I was really praying. I was just like doing the, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> Pray the Lord, my soul to keep. It was, it was just like, like, do this before you sleep. And the Lord said to me, I heard you're getting a doctorate. <laughs> just like that. I wasn't thinking or praying about it. I wasn't asking. I, I heard you're getting a doctorate. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and he said to me, as clear as day, he said, you didn't ask me about that. I'm like, can I get a doctorate? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, because if you have letters after your name, people will think you can do this, and we both know you can't. <laughs> and, he said, and this is what he said to me. He said, you're a sign of what I can do with weakness. I created you to be a sign of what I can do with weak people. 
And if you have a PhD after your name, people will think you actually do this, and we both know you can't. I, I, had, I had called my mother three months before, and she cried on the phone. She's like, oh, your father would be so proud of you. So I had to call my mother. Plus, I was thinking, you know, you know how, how Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing? And then he went to a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And his mother said, uh, hey, they're out, out of wine. He said, uh, it's not my time. I think he was saying, like, I don't see my father making wine. He's like, listen, do what your mother told you to do. So I'm thinking, if I tell my mother, maybe she can work it out with the, you know. <laughs> Didn't happen. So let me just repeat number four. Number four, I like myself and I rejoice knowing that when and where I'm weak, he is strong. I'm saying this is part of how I know I have a renewed mind. I, I, I don't have a perfect life, but I actually like who God made me. I like the, and I'm not talking about uh, moral weakness, by the way, but, you know, if, if we're talking about morality, how many know that God has called us to holiness? I'm not talking about that at all, if you might mistake what I'm saying. I'm simply saying, uh, there's lots of things in life I actually am not good at. And, and I don't have to lay awake at night thinking, I wish I was Bill. I wish I was Danny. I wish I was Dan. I wish, and you know, when I get to heaven, God's not going to say, Chris, why weren't you Moses? But I don't want him to say, Chris, why weren't you Chris? It's okay to like you. <laughs> I think a, some change just fell off of people right there. You're like, <laughs> Number five, I'm quick to forgive and I freely give others grace and mercy. How do I know if I have a re renewed mind? I'm quick to forgive. I don't hold offenses people. Number six, I'm confident and thankful. You know, um, someone asked, I think it was a student, not uh, this year, but in a, in a business class we were doing, and I was talking to these um, leaders, and I was saying confidence is so important. John Maxwell says, if a leader lacks confidence, people lack commitment. And so I was talking, and I was talking about how confidence is related to faith and how we are to boldly go in before the throne. And I was emphasizing confidence. And, and then we had a question and answer time, and a man raised his hand, and he said, how do I know if I'm confident, if I'm confident or, if I'm, or if I'm prideful and, arrogance because, and arrogant because I came out of a life of arrogance? And I said, gratitude, thankfulness. You can't be arrogant and be thankful simultaneously. It's not possible. Because thankfulness means I realize I got something I didn't deserve. <laughs> so how many understand that part of the way I know I have a renewed mind is that I'm confident and thankful. And I'd like to su suggest that we make those two train tracks that I don't get confident without being thankful. And the last one I'm going to mention tonight is that I believe in others and I give them the benefit of the doubt. This guy right here, he's amazing at this. I believe in others, and I give them the benefit of the doubt. Listen, let me say this. You don't know what other people's motives are. On a really good day, you might know yours. I really doubt it. And I think you can really get messed up trying to figure out what your motives are. I think the best thing to do is have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when your motive is wrong, Holy Spirit will convict you. He wants you convicted more than you do. He wants you to have a pure heart more than you want to have a pure heart. I was laying in bed, this was just three nights ago, I had had a conversation with someone during the day, and, and it, it, was a, it was a conflict in which I knew I was right. 
and we ended in a stalemate. And I went to bed, this is, I said, three or four nights ago. And while I, I, I was just laying awake, just praying and, and just thanking God for the day, the Lord said to me, you're wrong about that. And you need to, right now, you need to write him a letter and apologize and humble yourself. I'm like, this will feel so good. <laughs> and I just wrote a short note and said, we had a conflict today. And I, I felt like the Lord really convicted me. There was actually three people in the room. Well, one of us had a conflict, so I wrote to all of them and said, we had this conflict. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm saying, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. It's like, you, you just, are, are you following me? And you, you can't judge other people's motives because you don't know what they are. I noticed this, that I, I have some folks that in, in my life that they're kind of believers, but they, I say they're kind of believers because I say they, they believe in the Lord, but they don't follow the Lord very well. And they are suspicious of everybody. And oftentimes, I think their suspicion is actually seeing how they act. And therefore, they think I and other people are behaving like that. They're like, you lied about this thing. And when I talk to them, they lie all the time. And I point out this one person I'm thinking of in general. I said, you lie about these things. They go, oh, yeah, I know I lie about that. Well, that's the reason why you think other people lie, because you have no integrity in keeping your word. So you actually think other people do the same thing. I'm simply saying that you don't know other people's motives, and when you judge them, it's usually about you. You're usually mirroring back your motives. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, take a risk here. You don't know political people's motive, so please stop accusing their motives. It, it's okay to say, I don't agree with that decision, but when you're like, they're trying to, how do you know what they're trying to do? You're talking about someone you don't even know. How many times we see people we don't even know, not even politicians, leaders, like, and you know what they were trying to do? No, I have no idea what they're trying to do. Did God give you insight into it? Oh, yeah, God gives me insight. That's not called insight. That's called suspicion. It's the wicked, wicked stepsister of... You know what I'm trying to say? It's not discernment. Let me say this. Your discernment doesn't work when you're mad at someone. Your, the gauge just goes around and around. You're just like... Well, I believe... Okay, here we go. I'm trying hard. Mark 8. This is where the disciples are in the boat. And Jesus said to them, Watch out. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And of course, they have this whole dialogue about forgetting bread. And Jesus like, I, I love Jesus' attitude. Sometimes he says things like, how many? How long do I have to be with you guys? <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that part of Jesus. I told you. The leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. You remember bread? Bread. Guys, listen. If you forgot bread, didn't we just leave a miracle about bread? Okay. And there was how many loaves? Three, th we had three loaves. And how many, and how many fishes? And, and how much did we, remember, we, we brought home more than we started with, and we fed all those people? 
Mamma mia, what the heck's wrong with you guys? <laughs> I think it just would have been great just to have a film of how Jesus really was. You know, at one point he says to the guys, he says, I've kept the will of my father in that I haven't lost any of you except for one. And sometimes I read that and I'm like, is Jesus saying like, I would have dumped several of you. (laughs) But the father's like, only one. (laughs) The leaven of Herod is the political spirit, and the leaven of the Pharisees is the religious spirit. Again, this is, uh, Bill's taught many times about this. And leaven, uh, the word leaven means a substance, typically yeast, that's added to dough to make it ferment ferment or rise. And number two, definition, is a a persuasive influence that modifies something or transforms it. When Jesus is talking about the leaven of Herod and, and the leaven of the Pharisees, how many know he's using the metaphor of leaven to say an influence that changes the way you think about something. And Jesus is in the boat with the guys, and of course we know that the conversation gets sideways because of their, he has to first explain to them that he's talking about leaven as a metaphor for influence. But his point is, be careful that their influence doesn't change, doesn't become leaven, doesn't change the way that little bit of leaven, that little, just a little bit, those little, what they call it, pack measure, just a little tiny bit of leaven doesn't alter your thinking. Are, are you following me? And, I, and, and I, I'm, I'm thinking about how important it is that we don't spend four hours a day listening to the media describe to us life so that we start getting bugs on our lens. Parentheses for a second. Have you ever drove from Sacramento to Redding in the summer? And you go through those, when the fields, and and you're literally, your car is just covered in bugs. I mean, literally, like, if you do it at nighttime, you're like, gosh, it's really dark. And when you get home, and the next morning you go out there, and you're like, I see why I couldn't see. I was probably driving during the day. This just, there's, just this, there's just this one, like, 50-mile stretch where you just, like, they just, like, you can't even keep your windshield. It's like rain at, at, during, during certain seasons. And, and I think that the political spirit and the religious spirit are like bugs. They get on your window if you pass through the voices of those people of that spirit and you begin to think like they think and the problem is you don't know you're thinking like that you're like the anorexic person I'm like the anorexic person I'm making strong statements about things that actually aren't true but because they've been repeated over and over and over I think they're true you know one of the things uh, uh, that they said about Hitler Hitler had this saying If you tell a lie often enough, people will eventually believe it. He convinced the German people to kill their neighbors. And one of the ways he did it is he blamed them, and he continued to make a case for something that was totally irrational. 
Do you understand that much of what's coming over the airwaves is not true? Let me say it another way. It's not the kingdom. (laughs) At best, it might be facts. But remember, it's not just the way, it's not just what you think. They are teaching us to think a different way. (laughs) I work in that world. And I can tell you that 12 years ago, before I started working in the world, I got this prophetic word. I thought it was for Bethel. And now I realize it's for Bethel. And I'm part of Bethel. And the Lord said this, just really simple, one night. He said, protect your innocence. He said, protect your innocence. And one of the things, I, I, I've worked hard to do it. Listen, have I done it perfectly? I could, be, I could also have areas in my life that I'm blind to. And I could have bugs on my windshield. And I, that's why I have to stay connected. I'm in, I, I work a lot in the political world. I have to stay connected to people who aren't in the political world. They're not driving through that bug farm. So they can go, oh, that's that bug on your windshield. You must have got that when you went there last. Because it is so easy to take on the spirit of the world and not even know that you are, listen to me, not that your opinions are wrong or right, but the way you got to them. It was an interesting thing I was thinking about early, early, early this morning, 2 o'clock this morning. I was thinking about how when God moves, how the enemy can't stop it, so he tends to try to duplicate it. And so, for instance, in the book of Exodus, chapter 7, it's a story where God sends Aaron and Moses to Pharaoh and says, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says to God, what if, I, what if he says, I'm not doing that. Get out of here. And God says, what's in your hand? You remember the staff thing? Throws down a staff and becomes a snake. God goes, do that. So they go to Pharaoh, and they say, hey, God says, da-da-da, and have this long dialogue, and they say, please let God's people go. We're asking nicely. And Pharaoh says, get out of my face. I'm not letting people go. And, Aaron, and, God, and Moses says to Aaron, throw down your rod. And Aaron's rod becomes a snake. You remember this? But maybe what you maybe not have remembered is that the sorcerers that are present in the palace throw down their staffs, Get this, and they actually really become snakes. And of course, Aaron's snake eats their snakes, but the point is, they duplicate the miracle of God. Remember this? And so they leave discouraged, and they say, well, God, you know, and God says, okay, I want you to go back. And I think the second one was, uh, I can look, I have all the things here, but I think the second one was blood. So they go, hey, God says, let his people go, and if you don't, the water's going to turn to blood. And Pharaoh's like, get out of here, you know, leave. And so they go, and you remember this? They, They put their staff over the water, and all the water in the Nile turns to blood. Well, the sorcerers, they come over to another body of water, and they put up their staffs, and their water turns to blood. So Moses and Aaron leave, and they say, God, you know. God says, okay, go back tomorrow and tell them I'm going to send frogs. So they go back and they go, God says, all your houses are going to be full of frogs if you don't let his people go. And he goes, get out of here, you're nuts. And they raise their staff and frogs. And the sorcerers raise their staffs and they become frogs. Then God says, all right, go back 
and tell them oh, there's going to be gnats everywhere. There's going to be gnats. I don't know how God even thinks of this. Like, send the gnats. <laughs> Had a summer like that once. This is Exodus chapter 8, if you want to check it out later. And so they go back and they tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my, you know, God says, let my people go. And he goes, I'm not doing it. And he says, all right, there's going to be gnats everywhere. And they raised their staff. And you remember that just gnats covered everything. And the sorcerers went out and raised their staffs, and they couldn't reproduce the gnats. And they said to Pharaoh, this has got to be God. We can't do this. But you know what the crazy thing is? They could do all the first five. And what I'm getting at is that when the Lord moves, the enemy can't stop the move of God, so he tries to pervert it. Oftentimes, so that he can dilute it. Are you with me? I wrote this down. Whenever God sends movers and shakers, there's always deceivers, liars, and fakers. It's always part of it. And I I was thinking about in the New Testament, there was a move of God in Acts chapter 4 where people just spontaneously, not from any teaching, at least that we know of, they just spontaneously started to sell everything and take take everything they had that they sold, take the money and give it to the poor that were among them. Just spontaneously. And they'd lay the money at the apostles' feet, and the apostles would distribute the money. And, it said, and here was the outcome of it. At the end of chapter 4, it says, and there was not a single need among them. And we're talking about, by now, we're talking about tens of thousands of people. And it says that when that happened, when those people spontaneously sold their land, or sold their stuff, or sold their whatever they had that was extra, it says, it says this, it makes this note, that they gave it all. And two people, a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, they had an extra piece of property, and they sold it too. And they came, and they laid the money at the apostles' feet, and they said, we sold this property, and we gave it all. And, and Peter immediately knows that they're lying. And what I'm getting at is this. Whenever God moves among his people, there's always fakers liars and deceivers it's there to dilute what's god's (laughs) i'd propose that god is there's the holy righteous movement over the land right now you might not like my my illustration but just don't judge me (laughs) you don't know my motive (laughs) there's the me too movement and I've really been excited about this whole movement of people saying, I don't want that lifestyle anymore, and I don't want to be manipulated. I don't want men to manipulate me. And I am all for the protection of women. I can tell you that. I, you know my story. I've told it so many times. And, and so I, I am really for a move of God that keeps our sisters and daughters and mothers safe. I'm all for it. There's the Black Lives Matter movement, which... How many know that there are oppressed people groups in our country and in other countries that God is stepping in and says, no more will I let the, I will free the oppressed. This is what I do. I free the oppressed. And I love it. There's the once gay movement. And I, I see God working in these movements. Are you with me? But at the same time, I see perversions. And, so, and I, I, first of all, I want to pray for us because I think that this is one of the greatest hours in history, and the Lord is moving powerfully among us, but you can't tell whose snake it is. 
Is that God's snake or is it the sorcerer's snake? And let me tell you, because the sorcerers are doing the same thing, sometimes we don't want to be a part of it. We're like, that's the sorcerer's snake. I saw two snakes there. They are twice as involved. And I'm saying I'd propose that anything that that proposes righteousness is in its root root. I said in its root is the Lord. And we need the discernment. We have to get out of the religious spirit. We have to get out of the political spirit. And we have to lead this thing, not let it lead us. Are you with me? We have to bring... (laughs) We have to bring kingdom values to a kingdom movement. So that the source... So that... It's a metaphor right now. You'll get the metaphor. So that Aaron and Moses don't withdraw... Because the sorcerers duplicated it and give it no leadership. And then we don't end up with God outcomes. And we, and we curse the sorcerers. It's a, it's a little metaphor. We curse the sorcerers, but the kingdom leaders remove themselves from something that's supposed to be righteous because it got polluted by the sorcerers. And I'd propose that the sorcerers are there to dilute what God is actually doing because God is trying to make a holy move. How many many years, if you've been with us for very long, have I heard God is taking Hollywood and he's making it Hollywood. And all of a sudden I see producers who have been perverted forever being... You know, if what you do in, in the night, what you do in darkness, if you don't repent, God will explode, expose you in the day. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I see people being exposed, but then I see it, the, the movement always has other snakes. <laughs> I hope you can receive what I'm saying. And because it has other snakes, I go, that's not a move of God. Look at all the evil in there. I'm like, we're supposed to get in and pastor the thing. Not run away from it. And by the way, and not think like they think. My point is, we have to get involved in the process and say, listen, kingdom process has to happen. The political spirit cannot win. The religious spirit can't win. The kingdom is supposed to win. And I'm saying we can't run away from it. And we can't, like, are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm saying the process has to be kingdom. That's my point. And we can bring process. We can come in and say, this is the way the kingdom thinks about that. And I'm simply saying... When we're involved in life and we see that the political spirit and the religious spirit are involved, first of all, we can't back away. We've come to bring light. I'm not saying take a political stand because I don't think that this is this podium's for. I'm saying bring a kingdom stand and say this is the way the kingdom thinks about that. But how we go through process in life, we have to make sure that the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod are not infecting and affecting our lens so that we, we step into the same thing and we start to make judgments. Follow what I'm saying so you're not as mad as you are right now. <laughs> so that the way we see. Did you get what I just said? The way we see is kingdom. So I'm making righteous judgments Instead of letting other kinds of spirits affect the way I do life. And because there are other snakes in the water. Snakes are not 
the Republicans or the Democrats. I just need to say that because of the statement I just made. I'm not talking about snakes. I'm not talking about people snakes. I'm talking about spirits. I'm talking about this other realm that affects the realm we live in. And we shoot at people. And I'm like, our, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. The Republicans are not, we're not at war with the Republicans. We're not at war with the Democrats. We're not at war with whatever political party you're, you are or are not involved in. The war that we're involved with is somebody, some other dimension called the second heaven is trying to influence the first heaven and we live in the third heaven and we have to remember what we opened up with this verse and I'll end with this verse therefore if you've been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand and set your mind on the things above not on the things of earth for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ this is what we bring we bring discernment and we can we with discernment we can say I'm not going to be a part of that spirit. I'm not going to eat the leaven of the Pharisees. I'm not going to eat the leaven of Herod. I'm going to eat the manna from heaven. So that what's influencing my decisions is coming from above. Are you following me? And I'm simply saying, like, when we have hours and hours and hours of media every day, we don't just think what they think, we think how they think. And I'm saying, we can't be a part of that system of thinking. We can't be a part of that way of thinking. It's not who we are. I love, I'm almost done, I love that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they served a king who, at least in the beginning, was not serving God. And they navigated it with such wisdom that even though they brought kingdom answers, the king loved those answers. I believe that if we will stay in the third heaven where we belong, that the Lord will actually give us wisdom on how to set people free. How to make sure that women are safe, children are safe, men are safe, ethnic groups are safe. How we bring justice to things. How do we actually, how do we actually bring closure to years of oppression in different areas and in different countries? How do we bring closure? Well, one way we don't bring closure is by bringing more unforgiveness, more bitterness, more hatred. How many understand? More hatred, bitterness, all those things, they are never going to equal reconciliation and peace. That is the leaven that's coming from the wrong kingdom. And I'm saying, let's be involved in a way that we bring the, <laughs> we bring the right leaven to the party. Because Jesus said that we, that the kingdom is like a woman who had leaven. And she seeded it into into the earth, and it caused everything to rise. That's who you are. You are leaven. You're like, there's only one of me, and there's 5,000 of whoever. I'm like, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes pure leaven. Are you with me? Would you stand?
I, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for the gift of distinguishing the spirits. <laughs> so, Lord, I release the gift of distinguishing of spirits so that we can tell the sources of the moves of God and which things you've inspired and what things are trying to pervert the move of God. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would release your snakes that would eat the enemy's snakes so that it would be clearly seen, oh, those things were not of the Lord. And Lord, I pray for every single person who's in governance, because you said that all civil leaders are ministers of God. Whether they're Democrats, Republican, Independent, Lord, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and counsel would be on them. Lord, I pray for, for our president, our Congress, our senators, our leaders, Lord, that you would infuse them with wisdom, that you would infuse them with great counsel, that you would give them the spirit of discerning, discernment, the distinguishing of spirits, that they could actually cut through all the smoke, that they could see past all the bugs and say, this is the truth, and the truth will make you free. Lord, I bless every single person here, people listening by Bethel TV. Lord, I pray that there would be a righteous spirit in us and that we could free ourselves from the entanglements of the world and be a light in the world and leave the entanglements of ties to spirits that aren't yours. On every side of the aisle, in every country, everywhere in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Um, there may be some folks here that you don't know the Lord. And uh, Gabe, you can come on up. But you, don't, you don't know the Lord. Just stay standing for a moment. And you, you're, you know, we read that verse about that we're in Christ and we're seated in heavenly places and we're to set our mind on the things of heaven because we're actually inherently already seated in heavenly places. And maybe you're here and you're like, I have no idea what that man's talking about. And I'd like to just invite you to actually ask the Lord into your life. And maybe you did and you wandered away. And it's like, well, thankfully you're here. So we're all really happy you're here, by the way. No condemnation for anything you've done in your life. We, we're, we're people who need mercy, so we're, we're pretty good at giving it. <laughs> and if that's you, would you just raise your hand? You're like, I'd like to recommit my life to the Lord tonight, or I'd like to find the Lord for the first time tonight. Is there anyone in here? Maybe by Bethel TV, you're watching there. And we just want to say to you, like, just take some, a minute and acknowledge the Lord in your life and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, save you from your devices, and, 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 and commit your, your, yourself to Him and let the Holy Spirit guide and lead your life. Is there anyone in here that you don't, that you don't know the Lord and you'd like to do that? Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ experience all of God's goodness in every area of your life. I want you to know God's abundance from the inside out. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is by reading my newest book, Poverty, Riches, and Wealth. 
It's just released and now available for purchase wherever you buy your books. Check it out if you're tired of living with the never enough mindset and want to move into experiencing the wealth of heaven regardless of your circumstances. Don't forget to let me know what you think. Thanks for listening and I hope you have a blessed day.